0: Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. It's called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder. I'll be there. Amen and amen. When we come to our text for this evening, we arrive at a single verse near the middle of the 27th chapter in this book of Proverbs that is written by King Solomon. And I, I don't believe anyone would discredit Solomon's authorship of this book. I personally believe that the book of Proverbs is not it's not very difficult uh, to figure out who is writing each individual song, or excuse me, proverb, uh, because I believe the Bible expressly tells us uh, who writes the individuals con- Psalms contained in this great uh, book of 31 proverbial chapters. In, verse, uh, in chapter 1 through 9 the Bible says in chapter 1 verse 1 that those are the proverbs of Solomon the son of David the king of Israel. In chapter number 10 through chapter number 24 they are said in chapter number 10 in verse number 1 simply to be the proverbs of Solomon. In chapter number 25 through chapter number 29 where our text is found in, uh, these uh, chapters are said to be the Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah king of Judah copied out. In uh, Proverbs chapter number 30 it is tra- attributed in verse number 1 of that chapter to be the words of Agur. And then in chapter number 31 the proverb is attributed uh, to being the words of King Lemuel which many Bible students have taken to be another name for Solomon Although I'm not convinced of that, and the reason why I'll tell you I'm not convinced of that is uh, many Bible sc- uh, commentators and scholars will say that Lemuel was a pet name for Solomon that uh, Bathsheba, his mother, gave to him. And while we do not find that in the Scriptures anywhere, I'm hard pressed to fi- I'm hard pressed in trying to figure out uh, why there are three different sections in the Book of Proverbs that are given to Solomon by his actual name, and then in the last one that he would write, we would uh, go to calling him by a pet name that no one other uh, than uh, uh, these individuals that were alive in his day would even know about. Amen. And so I personally believe that King Lemuel was a man by the name of Lemuel separate uh, from King Solomon. But that's another uh, message for another day. Amen. But when we come to this great book of Proverbs we uh, realize that the verses that we are in are uh, definitely accredited to King Solomon, and they are said to be proverbs that Solomon wrote uh, during the days of his life that were uh, copied out, if I can uh, use that terminology, copied out, the Bible says, uh, by the men of Hezekiah, uh, king of Judah. And that would mean that they copied out or they wrote out uh, these these, uh, proverbs that Solomon had penned 215 years after his death and the subsequent end of his reign as Israel's king. So that's kind of the context of where uh, we are. We do realize that these are Solomon's words, but yet they would have been copied out many years later according to what the Bible says uh, in the chapter number uh, 25 and verse number 1. In this chapter we find many verses of uh, significant note and also verses uh, that stick out indelibly in our memories. I I think about there's probably none of these uh, verses that is Uh, more memorable and sticks out in our mind probably more in our chapter uh, than Proverbs 27 in verse number 1 where the Bible says boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Amen. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've quoted that verse. Amen. Not just to others but oftentimes myself. Amen. And reminded of myself. Amen. Uh, That we cannot have any confidence in today or, or rather in tomorrow because we do not know what a day will bring forth. Amen. But yet still memorable in our chapter, I think about the words of verse number 2 where the Bible says, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. I've met many people who could have benefited a man if they would have read Proverbs 27 2 I've met a lot of people like to praise themselves and brag on themselves, but the Bible says here in these words of wisdom that we are to let Let others give give us praise and not ourselves. Amen. I think about Proverbs 27 and verse number four where the Bible says wrath is cruel and anger outrageous, but who is able to stand before uh, envy? Amen. It does not behoove us to be uh, people given to envy because we cannot stand before it. Amen. It will cause us to fall every time. I think about the words of verse four where the Bible says open rebuke is better uh, than secret love. Amen. It is more loving to uh, be uh, to have enough love in you for a person to rebuke them in public. Uh, amen. Than uh, to hide your love for them. Look at verse 6. I think about this in terms of memorable verses in this chapter where the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It doesn't matter uh, how hurtful uh, things may, the wounds may be if they come from a friend. Uh, they'll be faithful in your life and they'll help you. Amen. But so many times we'd rather have the kisses of an enemy that do us no good because they are more pleasant. I think about the words of verse number 19 of this chapter and how memorable uh, it is. Amen. The Bible says as in water face answereth to face or as you see yourself in your reflection in water so is the heart of man to man. It is in our heart where we see who we really are. Amen. I think about uh, the words of verse number 20. Amen. I preached on this at the beginning of last year uh, or the beginning of this year where the Bible says, "Hail and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Amen. And so there's so many uh, memorable verses in this chapter. I've met met, uh, several husbands who jokingly uh, love to quote the words of verse number 15 where the Bible says a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alive. Amen. In other other words, well, I'll leave that alone. Amen. Uh, I think you can interpret that verse. But I've heard many who like to jokingly quote that one. Amen. Uh, But in this chapter where we find one third of the verses being verses that we know uh, pretty well by memory or Least familiar with. They are verses that are well known. I want to direct our attention tonight to the verse that the Lord has assigned us for in this particular service. This verse that we're going to look at, and yea, the one that we have already read twice in this service already, is a verse that is short, yet it is convicting and very thought provoking. Amen. It gives us a practical challenge for our everyday walk with God and in our relationships one to another. And I don't know about you. Amen. But I need to be challenged in my walk with God. Amen. I need to have a word from God that's going to challenge me in areas. Amen. That I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. And I believe the Lord will do that for us tonight. Amen. So this verse is a verse that we oftentimes hear quoted, at least in part. Amen. And I have throughout my time as a Christian and in Baptist churches. But uh, even though we've all heard this quoted, at least the first portion, where iron sharpeneth iron. Amen. I have realized, amen, that this has become, this verse has become a favorite in many churches as they host different conferences and things of that nature. But tonight I want us to take this verse and I want us to see what the Lord would say to us out of it. And I'll be honest with you, part of the reason why I'm drawn to verses like this is because I don't know if I have ever personally heard a preacher take this as a text and formulate an entire message around this one uh, thought from the Word of God. And so you pray for me tonight as I endeavor to do that, and uh, I want us tonight to look at this phrase and this verse, and I want us to take our thought out of this verse tonight in the second half, the least memorable half, if I can put it that way, of this uh, 17th verse of the 27th book of Proverbs, or 27th chapter of the book of Proverbs, rather. And I want to preach tonight with the help of the Lord on the subject, count countenance sharpeners, countenance sharpeners. And if the Lord will help me, I want to give you four truths out of this passage that He has put on my heart about being a countenance sharpener. Notice what the Bible said in verse 17 again, and we'll probably read this verse just due uh, to its brevity several times throughout uh, the service tonight. But the Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of His friend. And so I believe if the Lord inspired this in His Word, there is something uh, that He wants us to glean from this verse of Scripture. And I'll even say this, when it comes to Proverbs you almost have to take it a verse at a time. uh, Because when it comes to the, they are, the book of Proverbs when it comes to the Proverbs they are just simple short statements of truth uh, that don't necessarily have to uh, uh, follow any kind of a continuing context or train of thought. They are just a collection of truths that we need to learn and apply to our lives and so we come to this verse and the first thing I want to uh, uh, that I, the first thing I pray that the Holy Ghost will impress upon your heart tonight as the first thing that we'll look at tonight in this verse and that is that I want to say something tonight about the resemblance in this verse. The resemblance in this verse. I believe it is very easy uh, to understand that uh, this verse has a comparison that is being made within its wording. The Bible says, and I told you we'd say it many until we read it many times tonight. Amen. You'll probably have it memorized before we're done this evening. Iron sharpeneth iron. So that is one side of a comparison. And we'll deal with that tonight about what that means, that iron is sharpening iron. But this the second part says so In other words, now there is a comparison being made. Just as iron sharpeneth iron, so or in like manner a man sharpeneth the countenance of his freer. They do it in the same way. So there is a poetic comparison being made in this verse. The book of Proverbs is known for these comparisons that are made throughout its volume. My mind immediately goes back when I think about the comparisons in Uh, This book of Proverbs. I think about primarily, and I think I was talking uh, to some of the men in the church recently uh, during a recent visit uh, during the week this week about uh, this particular chapter. I think about Proverbs 26. And I'm not preaching anything in Proverbs 26, but if you'll read Proverbs 26, you'll find out, amen, that the entirety of that proverb is nothing more than one comparison after another that draws us to a point of reference and then on the second half gives us a practical everyday life truth that we can apply to our lives. And so uh, these comparisons are made. Amen. the, The book of Proverbs is known for that. Amen. Our chapter is is just one of many that can contain uh, a, 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 a kind of comparisons that we find throughout the book. If you want to look at the comparisons of this chapter, you'll look at verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 15, verse 17, which is our text for this evening, verse number 19, verse number 20, and verse number 21. All of those verses are clear comparisons just with Within this one chapter uh, which in which our text is found this evening. So here in our verse we do find a comparison. We find a comparison that is being made between what occurs when two pieces of iron come together and what happens between a man and his friend when they come together. So we see the, uh, the, uh, re- the resemblance or uh, the resemblance in this verse number one uh, the comparison in the verse. But number two I want to say something about the reality in this verse. Look at verse 17 again. The Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the the countenance of his friend. It seems to me that uh, this uh, this writer of the book of Proverbs, King Solomon, is pointing us not to something that is uh, made up or a or a design of the mind, but rather. The there are two points of reality that we can understand when we view them in light of each other. What makes this verse so informative, what makes it so convicting, what makes it so practically powerful is the fact that the both sides of the comma in this verse contain statements that are rooted in reality. I understand that there's passages in the Bible Amen, that are figurative and they're to be that way. And I thank God for that and all of the truths that we can draw from that. Amen. But I'm telling you tonight, it's good to know, amen, about some things, amen, that are rooted in reality. And I'm glad I've got a Bible that's true from cover to cover. Amen. But when we come to verses like this, we don't only know that they are true in a a spiritual sense, but we understand their reality in a physical sense as well. This is not a comparative statement of poetry that is in any way exaggerated. When I take this verse and apply it to my life, I can do so without hesitation because I know what it says, uh, what it says is true. I know that it is true because it is in God's word, I, amen. But I also know that it is true because I have experiences in my own life that will tell me that what I see in this verse is true in the world in which we live. Now I will say this, I don't have to have personal experiences in life to believe this verse is true. I don't have to have any experiences in life to believe any of the words of God are true. Just because they're in the Bible, it's enough for me to believe that they are true. They are God's Word. I believe the King James Bible it's the Word of God. And if God wrote the book, we know Amen. Because the Bible says we have a God that cannot lie. Amen. He has not. He cannot. And I'll tell you, I don't believe he's going to start tonight. Amen. So we have these verses. And uh, apart from the Word of God, uh, we are, uh, excuse me, in the Word of God, just because it's in the Word of God, we know that it's true. However, I do believe that we can see its reality in our everyday life. I'll say this tonight, that there are some times in life that we must believe God's Word by faith in situations that we have no physical knowledge about. Amen. I think that's one of the reasons why God gave us a Bible. I don't know everything there is to know about everything. As my pastor used to always say, I do not have all of God's cheese on my cracker. Amen. I don't know everything that there is to know about everything, but I have a God uh, that knows everything that there is to know about everything and He put everything that he wanted me to know in a book and I can come to this book and believe it by faith. So there are times that God will expect us to believe by faith things that we have no experience in and no knowledge of. However there are other times amen that where we as Christians must believe God's word by faith when the Bible contradicts what we think we know in life. Amen. I think about the I think about the many conversations I've had over the years of uh, people who uh, fall within the category and the denomination of uh, the charismatic churches, the Pentecostals, the Church of God's, those uh, kind of uh, those those kind of uh, denominational persuasions. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with them about signed gifts or tongues or whatever the case may be, and they'll say, "Preacher, I know what the Bible says, but..." I know what I've experienced. Can I tell you that is not the way to interpret what is true and what is not true in life. Amen. I believe God expects us as Christians to go with his word over what we see or over what we feel or over what we sense to be a reality. Those groups of people have told me I know what I've seen. I know what I've experienced. But I'll tell you if it does not agree with what God says in his word. God said let God be true, and every man a liar, and I will say that includes even if that man is me, even if that individual is you, amen, let God be true, what He says, He meant, and this is true, despite how I feel, or despite what I've experienced, amen, Amen. however, there are still times. In life, where God will cause us to believe His Word by faith, and while we are believing His Word by faith, we'll allow us in His Word to have a an area in our life to where we have some knowledge and have some experience not contradicted. Amen. By the last of those that feel like they understand something in life, it is true. But there are times God will let us experience things in life, and will confirm its validity with His Word. I believe the Word of God tells me what is true. Amen. To the point where if I think something true and the Bible goes against it I'll believe the Bible but also at the same time if I think something to be true and the Bible says that it is it gives me further confidence in what I believe. Amen. And so there are times in life where God will let us live in one or more of those three circumstances. I believe the latter of which is what we find in this text this evening that God allows us in the experience Experiences of our life, to have experience with things in the physical realm. And here in His Word He has confirmed that which we have understood to be true is actually true. Amen. And so we see the reality of these, of the reality in this verse. Let me say this about this verse's reality. Let me say that it is real in its details. We see its reality in its details. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 17 in these details that are given in the verse. That's rooted in what we already know. The Bible says in that first phrase, iron sharpeneth iron. That is something we already know. That is something that many of you, amen, that are men or maybe even ladies that like to work with your hands, spend any time working with blades or anything like that, you've learned by personal experience, amen. We see the details of this verse tell us of its reality in a way that is settling. Notice the Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. In other words, that is a settled truth. That is a statement that is made, that is rooted in a settled act. There is no doubt about that statement. Iron does, I'm t- this is this is simple tonight, amen. Iron does sharpen iron. The iron spoken of in our verse is an, is an object that is made of iron. It is not speaking of iron that has been melted down. While metals that are melted down are still the same metal that they were when they were in a solid state iron or any other metal, much be solid before it can be sharpened. And the Bible here says that this iron is being sharpened. The iron in verse 17 is fashioned into a metal instrument because it is being sharpened and it is an instrument that has with it a particular use. James Strong said that this Hebrew word translated iron can be used to describe anything that is made of iron, iron ore, iron furniture, iron iron utensils, or tools of iron. He said metaphorically this word is used in the scriptures to talk about something that is harsh, something that is strong. Or something that is oppressive In verse 17 the Bible says that This iron object that we are speaking of uh, Amen Is an iron object that must be Or at least can be sharpened And so therefore we understand That reality in these verses I believe this would suggest That uh, we are talking about an iron Tool of some sort This Hebrew word in the Bible Is translated iron 73 times But is also translated As axe or Head, as in an axe head, other places in the scriptures, or a smith, as in a blacksmith who makes things out of iron. And so we see the use of this word uh, giving us an insight as to what is being spoken of. I believe if this is talking about an iron tool, a man that's being sharpened against another iron tool, that it is probably being used to speak of an axe, although uh, it could also be applied to any instrument with an iron blade that could ever be in need of sharpening for hundreds of years. I say this is rooted in reality. That is because hunt for hundreds, yeah even possibly thousands of years mankind has used iron in the crafting of our weaponry. If you look back in history, you'll find iron all uh, throughout the ages of history. We'll find iron swords and iron axes and iron whatever you may name as far as a weapon or a, even a tool uh, to be used in uh, uh, everyday life and craftsmanship. As you already know, when a tool or a weapon has an iron blade, uh, it is, uh, uh, amen, it is, uh, and it is used, it will eventually become dull when it is used and will be in need of sharpening again and again. The best way according to this verse and to our common experience to sharpen an iron tool is to put it in contact with another tool that is also made of iron. With that being said we see the details of this verse telling us about it being rooted in reality. Amen. It is a settling truth that is spoken of here but I'll say this as we consider its reality we see that it also uh, speaks to us in similar Similar terms, not just settling words, but similar words. Notice the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. The Bible it does not say that iron sharpens wood. Iron does not sharpen wood, nor is it sharpened by wood. Iron does not sharpen dirt, nor is it sharpened by dirt. Iron does not sharpen plastic. Amen. Nor is it sharpened by plastic. It'll tear plastic to pieces. All of those things do not cause iron to be sharpened, but rather it causes iron to be dull, to be, to be ineffective in its use. And so we find the reality that iron is sharpening iron. And I'm going somewhere with these things. Iron sharpens iron. It sharpens what it is. It has to be in contact with another entity that is similar to its own makeup in order to receive the sharpening that it needs. So we see that it is it show its reality in its details. Number two, we see its, its reality in its duration. The Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. That E-T-H on the end of the word uh, implies that it is a, in an ever-continual sense. In other words, it does does, iron does sharpen iron, and iron always will sharpen iron. Amen. You may find whatever tool you want in this modern day, and you may be able to find something else that will sharpen that iron pretty good. Amen. But if you put two pieces of iron in contact with each other in just the right way, amen, you can throw out out all of the modern technology and all of the other things because it's still going to do exactly what it has always done. As long as you put them together in the right way, they will never cease to sharpen each other. So we see a reality of what's being said in its details and its duration. But let me say this as well. We see its reality and its dividend. Notice what the Bible says here, iron sharpeneth iron. Iron sharpeneth iron. What this means is that when you bring one instrument of iron together with another instrument of iron in a way that is conducive to sharpening one another, you will always get a sharp instrument as the end result of you bringing them together. I'll even say this, if you really think about it, you'll get more than one sharp instrument by bringing them together. You will have two sharpened instruments of iron. And while those thoughts are quite elementary, let us move on to the third truth that I would love for the Holy Ghost to impress upon your heart as we consider this verse. Thirdly, tonight I want to say something about the reasoning in this verse. We've talked about the the resemblance in this verse the reality in this verse but thirdly I want to say something about the reasoning in this verse where, where is the Spirit of God through Solomon as his penman trying to bring our mind to what is the truth that he is trying to bring us to I believe as we consider the reasoning in this verse we find out why we need this truth after all The Bible says in verse 17, "...iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend." Can I say tonight that the second half of this verse tells us that what that tells us about what happens uh, between two pieces of iron a man can be exactly that will happen between a man and his friend. Now, I would have to say this in order for this to take place in your life, you've got to have friends. The Bible tells us how we can have friends. Amen. For us to have friends, the Bible says a man must show himself friendly. An individual must show himself friendly. Don't talk about, amen, nobody will be my friend and nobody likes me. Amen. If you're not being friendly to them, if you're going to get, if they're going to be friendly to you and you're going to have friends in life, God says you've got to be friendly toward others. Amen. And so we see that. So the Bible first of all says that a man's got to have a friend in order to sharpen the countenance of his friend. Amen. So we see that just as iron can sharpen iron. The Bible says that a man can sharpen and and the word man here obviously is generic as a member of mankind. Ladies you can take part of this too. Amen. That a man a woman boy or girl can sharpen the countenance of their friend just as iron sharpens iron. So tonight I ask the question, what does it mean to sharpen the countenance of a friend? The word sharpened that the Bible gives us here, this word that is translated sharpened, the Hebrew word associates itself with a word picture of a wall and a door within the wall. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with anything about sharpening? Let me explain. This word is used in the Hebrew language to picture a wall that is that, is that entity that separates us from the outside. The reason why we're not standing outside tonight in the weather is because somebody somewhere down uh, about 32 years ago, going on 33 years ago, put some walls up around here. Walls separate us from the outside. However, these doors are that which unifies the outside to the inside. In other words the door is what allows us to be able, if you straddle that door you can be both inside and outside by uh, proxy of the door it brings together outside and inside. And so in this Hebrew, I told you the Hebrew language is a very picturesque language those two things are working together to give an idea of unity. The every association with this word in the Hebrew language we look at sharpen and we think about sharpening a tool but as you would read it in Hebrew it would be talking about unity and how to be unified. This Hebrew word pictures unity in the sense, and here is where we find it in this text of two blades coming together two blades coming together to meet at one point. This word speaks of unity in a sense of two individuals who in and of themselves are a unity of body, soul and spirit. Amen. Uh, Departed from the masses of the large groups that uh, caused them to be separated and they come together in unity. This word speaks of uniting together in joy. Coming together to rejoice. Coming together to enjoy a sense of togetherness and to be glad. This word carries the idea. of a riddle. And I thought that was interesting. And as I began to study a little bit more I found out that it again is speaking of unity. Because when you tell someone a riddle you and that person are separated by the knowledge that the Riddler has that you don't yet have. So there's a division there. But when the answer to the riddle is given, y'all are both united together in knowledge now and can enjoy a laugh together and enjoy common knowledge. So again, it is speaking of unity in different word pictures. When an instrument of iron is sharpened, the two iron instruments have come together. They have united together for the purpose of making each other sharper. Making each other personally better off than they were before they came together. And don't y'all get ahead of me on some of these things, amen, because these will preach to high heaven, amen. When you bring two instruments of iron together and they sharpen each other, they are not only now personally better off than they were before, but now they are more capable of success even when they are separated they are now more able to defend against an enemy in the case of a sword or of a battle axe and both once they are sharpened are the best version of themselves nobody can say that a dull axe or a dull sword is the best version of a sword to have. If I'm going to go to battle and you're going to give me the option to choose a dull sword amen, or a dull axe or a, a one that has been sharpened just right, which one do you think I'm going to choose? The best version of a sword is the one that will do its purpose. Amen. And that is to defend you against an enemy. It's one that's been sharpened. Amen. If you're going to go chop down a tree, amen, you want the best version of that axe you've got. Hey, especially if you're not going to go with a chainsaw, amen, in modern advancements to get a tree down. Amen. But if you're going to, amen, drop a, amen, chop down the old cherry tree like some of our founding fathers, amen, with just an axe, you want it to be sharpened, amen. You don't want it to be a dull axe, amen. You'll be there all day beating yourself to death with a dull axe, amen. I'll say this, if you can ask the iron axe, Or the iron sword, whether they would prefer to be dull or sharpened, I would surmise that the ax, if we could personify him, would definitely return an answer that he loves being sharp as opposed to being dull. He feels more productive. He feels more effective when he is sharp rather than when he is dull. He feels more able to be that entity that he was created to be when he is sharp rather than when he was dull. He would say that he feels like a failure as a dull sword or as a dull axe. Amen. Aimlessly existing when dull but having a renewed purpose when sharpened, if we can be, conf- we could be confident, Amen. That the axe, if personified, would feel that way. How do you think our friends would feel if they too were sharpened by you and I? We've seen what sharpeneth means, but what does the word countenance mean in our text? What is A countenance. It's a word very seldom used in our common vernacular in these days, but it literally is the outline or the extent which constitutes a whole figure or external appearance, the look or the appearance of a face. The Hebrew word associated with this word countenance gives the idea of one's face, especially in the area of turning the face, altering the face's direction, and the face being before another as in being in the presence of someone else. This word is also associated, interestingly enough, with a ruby. You know what a ruby is? A ruby is a gem that glistens when turned. So it gives the idea of turning, an idea of altering, the idea of a change that makes the face of one better and brighter than it was before. Therefore, when we consider what these words tell us about what is meant by the phrase, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend, we understand that we can join ourselves with our friends in life, in unity, where we come together and depart from others For And to each other for the very purpose of making each other encouraged, making each other gladdened, to fill each other with joy and rejoicing as we've seen in these other words, to come together in a spirit of unity and togetherness where we will laugh and enjoy each other's company while at the same time providing for each other what we each need to better fulfill the purpose that God created us for. We will by coming together strengthen and sharpen each other to where we are personally better off than we were before we came together. To where we are more capable of success both physically and spiritually than we were before we came together. We will be more equipped to defend ourselves against our enemy the devil because we've come together as friends and as Christian family in the Lord. Amen. Than we were before we came together and we and two friends come together. Amen. Or two church members come together or two people. Amen. That love each other and have a heart for each other. Amen. The word friend here in the text carries the idea of a sheep's love for their shepherd. So if you can understand how much love that is. Amen. That if you have someone in your life that you love that much. Amen. Whether be a friend or uh, some other kind of companion. The Bible says you can be that one that will cause them to be the best version of themselves. They'll cause them to have all of these blessings that I just mentioned to you a moment ago. that, that, That we will be able to cause a change in their appearance. We'll be able to lift their countenance. We'll be able to sharpen, the Bible says, their countenance, their face. God can use us in His hand to see our friend, to see our loved ones' face be changed from a position of looking back at all of their failures, of looking back to the past for where uh, the, to the past to find all of the answers of who they are and what they are capable that they are capable of accomplishing in life for God or otherwise. It will cause us to be used in the hand of God to affect a change. In in our loved ones, amen, or in our friends uh, that will cause the direction of their faith to go from looking back to be able to go to be lo- to looking forward, amen, to refuse and to turn away from a visage of looking back in retreat and will cause them by encouraging and enjoy to look forward in victory and for victory and to the future of all that God has in store for them it, it will cause the appearance of their faces uh, amen to tr- that, that our faces that truly display how we feel and I know amen husbands you and I can say amen to that our faces dis- uh, amen you look at your wife if she's not, uh, if she's not happy Her face will tell you all you need to know. She may be saying, honey, I'm fine. But her face will tell you all that you need to know about how she feels. Amen. Our face, our countenance tells all of who we are and how we feel. And God, have you ever thought about the fact that God can use? you and the life of your friends and family and loved ones to take the appearance of their faces, amen, and cause them to have a hope that displays on their face, a joy that displays on their face, that fills it with a glow as it glistens like the gem of a ruby when it is turned in its direction. God can use you to do that. God can use me to do that. In ancient sword sharpening techniques, the very act of sharpening one's sword would rub off all of the grime and dirt that covered the blade. And when done correctly, it would give the blade of the sword or of the axe a fresh polish and a shiny appearance for all that saw it. Have you ever looked at some people that you love so much and you said they just always look down. They always look discouraged. I wish I could do something to help them. Do you realize Proverbs 27:17 says you can? you can help change amen you can help sharpen you may not be able to change the circumstances but you can sharpen their countenance that displays how they really feel if their face and their countenance has changed that does not necessarily mean that the circumstances on the outside has changed but it does say that the circumstances and the feeling uh, amen of uh, how we feel about the circumstances have changed on the inside you can do that for those in your life. This is what we can do for our friends, our companions, our fellow men and women. Amen. And that lastly brings me to the fourth truth, the last truth. I want the Holy Ghost to impress upon your heart tonight. We've seen number one, the resemblance in the verse. Number two, the reality in the verse. Number three, the reasoning in the verse. Lastly tonight, I want to say something about the responsibility in this verse. Notice the Bible says in verse 17, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Here, the Bible does not tell us, a man, what a man can do uh, for his friend. Uh, or, or rather, what a man may do for his friend. But it tells us what not only what we can do for our friends, but what we should be doing for them. Notice the Bible says so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. In other words he implies that it is something that's being done. It is something that can be done. It is something that should be done. And if we, are, if we are smart, amen, and we'll apply this truth to our life, God says it's something that should be done and will be done in our lives. I believe this means that if I'm going to be a real friend to my friends, then I will sharpen their countenance as an iron sharpens another piece of iron. This verse implies several things about our personal responsibility in sharpening the countenance of a friend. First thing I want to say is that this verse, when it says so a man sharpeneth, he does that. He sharpens the countenance of his friend. That tells me first of all there must be a realization of who we are and who they are. The Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. And that's the way we sharpen each other. In other words, I'm iron and you're iron And if that's the case, that means I can sharpen you and you can sharpen me. We must realize who we are and who who our friends are. Number two, we must recognize our ability to sharpen them. Not only do you need to realize that you are what you are and there is a possibility there but we've got to realize that it can be done and God puts this in Scripture to illuminate our mind to the fact that you can sharpen your friends and loved ones and their countenance for the glory of God. We must realize who we are and who they are. We must recognize our ability to sharpen them. Thirdly, we must respond by making this our purpose when we are together. How do you respond to this truth? When you're with your friends, you need to have it settled in your heart that the moment we come together, I'm going to make a dead-level effort to sharpen their countenance, to lift their spirits, to encourage them, to bring them to a place of joy and rejoicing, to bring them to a place where they are hopeful and not hopeless. God can use us to do that, and we must respond to that reality, respond to that recognition by the fact that we determine that we will do it. Fourthly, we must resolve to do this consistently and constantly. By consistently, I mean that we will make sure that we never miss an opportunity to sharpen our friends consistently, constantly, By that I mean that we will never let there be a day until we are dead and gone where we will stop trying to sharpen them, those that are around us. We must must resolve to do so constantly and consistently that everywhere we go, I understand everywhere we go, we're supposed to be a gospel witness. We're supposed to give the gospel. But where was the last time you considered everywhere you go, you're supposed to be a sharpener? Not a pencil sharpener. I used a lot of that on my outline. I took an entire pencil and, amen, rubbed out and sharpened it down to nothing this afternoon. Amen. Not to be a pencil sharpener. Amen. I go through a lot of pencils. Y'all see my notes. You'll know why. Amen. But to be a countenance sharpener. Amen. We're to do that. Fifthly, with our responsibility is that we must resign to allow, listen to this, I've preached all night about us being a countenance sharper to somebody else. But can I say this, that verse doesn't just have to do with you being sharpening someone else. But it also carries with the idea that you too can also be sharpened. You know, we live in a day where a lot of people are loners. They're loners on purpose. I've heard people say during this time of COVID, one of the things that they enjoyed about the six foot distance thing is they don't have to be around people anymore. I've seen that. And you know, while there are areas in my life that I, I too, amen, enjoy peace and quiet and amen, the serenity and solitude of being alone, amen, I think we all do at some point in time, amen, a crazy world we're living in will drive you to that place if you're not careful. But I'll say this as well, God didn't design for us to be loners. One of the first things God did in the book of Genesis was the Bible said about Adam, God said it is not good that man should be alone. And God created him a companion because of that. God created a woman to be a help for him because God knew he'd need a lot of help. Amen. Ladies, y'all lost a good opportunity to say amen there. But this verse is not a one-sided street. So many times we are, a lot of times in ministry, we are okay with doing things for others. But when it comes to receiving ministry, we're closed up. We don't want anybody getting close. We don't want anybody having personal fellowship with us. And that even happens in our churches where our churches divide into cliques and groups and 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 and, 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 and the things of that nature. That's not God's will. That's right. Why did God put you in a local church? Why, what, there, what, there's a multitude of reasons, but one of the reasons why he did was that you could sharpen the countenance of those around you. Amen. People ought not to be in a place where they hate to see you coming. People ought to enjoy seeing you coming because they know they're going to be sharpened by your presence. We must resign to allow ourselves, listen to this word, I know we don't like it, to allow ourselves to be vulnerable to the fact that I too and you too need to be sharpened and and our friends can do what we're doing for them, for us. Just like God can use us to sharpen them, God can use them to sharpen us. And I think there's a whole lot of times that we live in life depressed and discouraged and downcast and heartbroken. Not, not because people don't want to help. Not because people don't want to encourage. But we've got those walls up to where we're not going to allow ourselves to become vulnerable enough to let somebody reach in and let iron sharpen their iron. Sharpen your iron. Their life sharpen your life. Their words and their faith sharpen your words and your heart and your mind and your faith. Amen. God has put us together together. Amen. For the purpose of sharpening each other. Amen. Lastly I'll close with this illustration and I'm, I'm done. You know when I was studying for this message I told my wife this afternoon. I said I tried to study commentaries and read behind them. There's not, there's not a whole lot of verse there for you to break apart. And then in the book of Proverbs there's not a whole lot of context to be rooted in. Each verse is a context of its own. So I said well I'll see if somebody else smarter than me uh, might have some words on this. And I'm I'm not bragging on myself but I'll say this. I found out the commentary writers are just as dumb as I am. They didn't have anything to help me with Brother Gary. Amen. They either skipped it entirely or said something that I was like, duh, I already understood that. I can read too. Amen. So I didn't get any help from them. I told my wife to greater understand this verse. I tried to study something. You know what I ended up studying? How master swordsmen sharpen their swords. I said, if it's by the book's talk, Bible here is talking about sharpening, maybe there might be something in, in how they sharpen. I found some things I think you might be interested in. I'll take just another minute or two and I'll be done. Thank you for your patience tonight. Mastered swordsmen advise those who will sharpen their swords. Number one, and I'm t- this, this preaches all over what I've been saying tonight. Number one, to be very careful and to be very patient when sharpening swords. Because if you aren't, either you or someone else could be hurt. I think that has a lot to do. We're trying to sharpen each other. We've got to be very patient. Not everybody's used to being sharpened. Not everybody's used to letting people come into their life and encourage them. We live in a day where people don't even know how to be encouraged anymore. We live in a day where we live so depressed people have a hard time even finding something to rejoice in and to be happy about. Be careful and patient with sharpening swords. Number two, they said that you are to practice sharpening your swords to achieve the best results. In other words this isn't something for you to do one time and say I've achieved my purpose and move on. This is something we ought to be actively about doing and not just for one person but everywhere we go. Everyone that falls into this category we ought to try to sharpen all of those we can and encourage and bless all of those we can. They also said thirdly you are to make sure that you have the right tools with you to effectively sharpen your sword. You know what the tools were? And now I'm talking about, that. I got this off of a secular website didn't have nothing to do with Bible verses. Here's the tools. They said you need to sharpen a sword. Number one, you need to have a sword. And I know the, Bible's, uh, the Bible talks about the Word of God being a sword, but in this passage the sword would be a friend. I've already talked about it. You've got to have a friend. You've got to have someone to sharpen. Number two, you've got to have a wet stone. W-H-E-T, a wet stone, a sharpening stone. Something that does the sharpening and does the cutting. You know what's going to sharpen your life and mine? There's two things. That stone in the Bible can picture two. Any kind of stone in the Bible can picture two things. Number one, it can picture the Bible. That thing that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that thing that allows it to be sharpened, that thing that pierces and cuts to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, it's the Word of God. Our whetstone stone that sharpens our lives and can sharpen and help and encourage others, it's the Word of God. But you know what the Bible also says about a rock in His Word? The Bible tells us that God's a rock. Amen. Hey, hey man, if you're going to try to sharpen someone else, you've got to have God. Amen. And if they're truly going to be strengthened and sharpened, they've got to have God too. There's nothing that can bring joy in life, that true joy until you know Jesus. Amen. Right. Here's the third thing. all you preachers in here are like this. you've got to have oil for the whetstone. You know what oil is in a picture in the Bible? It's a picture of the Spirit of God. In other words, if the Holy Ghost isn't leading you and you're not being led by the Spirit of God, you're not going to sharpen anyone's countenance. That sword's not going to, it's going to be messed up. There's going to be trouble if you try to use a whetstone without oil first. Amen. Every, Every master swordsman said the same thing that I studied behind. Here's the fourth thing. They said you need a block of wood propping up the stone and other things are used with that block of wood. You know, every time you find wood in the Bible, you know what you can always point it back to? The cross. If you don't have a relationship with the cross, you'll never be able to sharpen anyone else. You know where our hope comes from. You know where our joy comes from. You know where uh, we can have any hope in this world, in a world that's, that, that's headed for hell and destruction and judgment. You know where any person in the world can find a reason to smile? It's in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said you've got to have a sword, you've got to have a whetstone, you've got to have all for the whetstone, amen picture of the Holy Ghost, you've got to have a block of wood, that's a picture of the cross, and lastly you've got to have some quality sandpaper. You say preacher what does sandpaper talk about? When I think of sandpaper I think of friction. If you're going to sand something down, the only way that happens, there's a lot of friction there. If you're going to be sharpened, and if I'm going to be sharpened, we have got to have the ability to produce and receive the right kind of friction in our lives. It's not God's will for everything in life to be hunky-dory for you. You know some of the most helpful things for us is when God brings in not necessarily overwhelming friction. I don't want there to be friction and fighting and quarreling in the church. But I think just the right kind of friction just the right amount of pressure and right kind of friction will cause us to be exactly where we need to be. If it wasn't for struggles and trials in life none of us would ever pray. None of us would ever live for God. None of us would ever be a Christian that God would have for us to be. God said if you're going to sharpen somebody else if you and your life are going to be sharpened in and of yourselves you've got to have all of these things. Can I ask you tonight how are you and I'm done with this how are you doing when it comes to your responsibility to be a countenance sharpener? How are you doing? How are you doing when it comes to sharpening your friends or others around you? How are we taking our responsibility of allowing others to sharpen us? What amount of time do we take out of our daily or weekly schedules to be a countenance sharpener for others? Many may be depressed and discouraged in their life because we have not taken the time to be a sharpener in each other's lives. It's not because they're not walking with God. God has assigned you to sharpen them and you failed on that that task. How are you doing tonight? Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.